0: Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. In doing a series um, on the book of James, and, and James... You know, talks about showing yourself approved before God. And the word that he uses for approved is, uh, is taking a pot that's been put, um, has been molded through pottery and been put in the oven. And then once it's come out uh, the oven, uh, to hold it up uh, and as, as he turns it, that there are no cracks in it. And and if there are cracks in it, he needs to break it and remake it. And so uh, we continue in that series uh, through the book of James. um, And and I want to share with you a little bit about uh, our heart this morning, our heart. Uh, Somebody sent me a bit of a funny this week and I want to share it with you. It's about a bicycle and and, uh, how bicycles kind of uh, are so helpful while others think they're not. He says the bike is a slow death of the planet. The CEO of EuroXM Bank Limited got economists thinking about this when he said, a cyclist is a disaster for the country's economy. He doesn't buy cars or borrow money to buy them with. He doesn't pay insurance policies. He doesn't buy fuel. He doesn't need money to get the car serviced and repaired. He does not use paid parking. He does not cause serious accidents. No multi-lane highways are required, and he does not get fat. Clearly, I don't have a bicycle. (laughs) Healthy people are neither necessary nor useful to the economy. They don't buy drugs and only seldom do they go to hospitals or doctors. They don't add anything to the country's gross domestic product. On the other hand, every new McDonald's outlet creates at least 30 jobs and indirectly employs 10 cardiologists, seven dentists, five dietitians and several nutritionists, and of course, a lot of hospital staff. Runners are even worse. They don't even buy a bike. <laughs> Some people uh, create conflict through silly things. Folk, with reference to sharing uh, our hearts, sharing about our hearts this morning, uh, we know that we live in a world full of conflict. Uh, Whether we argue with our spouse, whether we argue with our children, whether we argue with the neighbor, somebody in our street, our boss, uh, whether we go to war, there is always conflict. In fact, conflict is nothing new. I want to read you something, that conflict has been around since the beginning of time. In over 3,100 years of recorded world history, the world has only been at peace 8% of the time, or a total of 286 years. Over 8,000 agreements or treaties have been made and broken. From the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, we read uh, Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, uh, were at conflict. Cain killed Abel. And today, we're still fighting that same battle. And so James writes, uh, and he says, listen, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And you might kind of nudge your partner or the person you're sitting next to uh, you and say, this is for you. Well, I would say, if you did do that, this is for you. (laughs) Because we are all guilty of this. And he says, what causes fights? And the word for fights there means battles, battles, Through busyness that causes strife. And he says, be careful because it's extremely dangerous. And quarrels, that word quarrels means controversies, conflict. What causes it within you? And I want to share with you this morning that it is crucial to guard our hearts and our minds. The the Greek words for heart and mind are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And he says, Guard your heart and your mind because conflict can come from that. And so let me read you uh, the passage from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are, who are you to judge? Your neighbor. I love the message, and it's just a simple paraphrase uh, of this passage. And it says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you do not have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You spoil children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The Proverbs... The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. What he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal law that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to mendle in the destiny of others? I want to share three points with you this morning on this passage with reference to conflict. First point is the wrong fight. The wrong fight. A heart that causes conflict. We all know that uh, our heart is at war. Uh, Don Francisco, this great singer, said, There is a war within my heart. It's tearing me apart. A war between two kingdoms and two masters. One of them must win. The other must give in. Jesus must be Lord of all. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6 this way, that there is a spiritual war taking place. A war within our hearts. A war that is uh, at work. And it's a war between uh, the light and darkness, if you like. A a, a war between good and evil. And where we bow the knee, so that will take reign in our hearts. And so there's that fighting against God uh, and the enemy, Satan. And Satan is our adversary. He's not this imaginary person who comes, uh, like some would say, well, the devil on the one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. No, he is at work to come and destroy uh, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will do uh, whatever he can and use any strategy he can for him to win you over. And he often uses uh, men and women who who love the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. You know, uh, somebody wrote a book, We are all great until you get to know us. Why? Because when you get to know who we are, there is something within that is not good. And so uh, Paul makes it very clear that there is a war going on in our hearts. And you see, uh, that war is often at home uh, because it's within. Uh, the, the struggle uh, within our hearts and within our minds, you know, is a tough struggle. And so uh, we, we read here in James verse 1, what is causing fights and quarrels uh, among you? And he, he kind of gives us the answer. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you. In other words, that, that is deep down inside. Your psyche is the Greek word for mind. Your gardia, your heart. And they're connected. They're connected. Because the way we begin to think, that's how we operate. And so he says there, there is something deep down uh, within. And, and this word desires means the pleasures that, that we have. And those can be really good. Or they could be really bad because they can draw us away from God. And those are the things that battle within us. You see, this word that uh, is used for battle in the Greek, is the, the same root word is the word that we have as a soldier. When I was in the army in South Africa, I was a soldier, and I would listen to my commander. And when the commander says, go that way, that's where you go. And so he basically says That there is something within That is leading you along the wrong path Because the commander of your heart and mind Is leading you down the wrong path And we begin to ask What is that? Well, the things that lead us astray, the things where our hearts are, they are the ones that cause problem. They are the ones that cause us to be at odds with one another. They're the ones that allow us to slander and to judge and to, to feel that we are better than everybody else. And he says that, you know, that, that we have these motives behind us. And, folk, there are, you know, they, they are, to be totally honest, because of selfishness and greed. Because we begin to think that we are better than everybody else or anybody else. And so he says uh, in verses 2 and 3, he says, You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That word, wrong uh, motives there, it's with bad motives, uh, with a motive that is diseased, uh, with something that is toxic, if you like. And when something is toxic, it will uh, affect the way you ask. And that's the illustration he's giving us. When, When you're not directed to God, you'll be asking the wrong things. And so he says that you may spend, uh, the word actually, it's not spend, it's actually waste. Because you could spend uh, your money or your time on good things or on bad things. And he actually says you waste your time and your money and who you are on your own pleasures. And, and the word he uses for pleasures there has got to do with lust. Now, folk, we often think that lust has to do with uh, only sexual connotation. Lust is uh, something that affects all of us all the time. It's I want something and I want it now. could be a car, it could be a house, it could be a bicycle. Uh, it could be uh, something that I want, but I want it now. And so that begins to infiltrate how I think through my diseased thinking. And so what he says is we, we become frustrated because we don't get what we want. Because we're asking amiss. And I think what James is trying to say to us is that when your heart is uh, not in the right place, when your thinking is not in the right place, then you begin to run parallel with the things that you ask for. And if they're not right, then you'll ask amiss. And so that causes trouble among us. And in verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, you don't know that friendship with the world is hatred with God. In other words, James is confronting us and saying, Who are you going to say yes to? Who are you going to say no to? Because if you say yes to God, then you're saying no to the evil one. If you say yes to the evil one, you're saying no to God. Who are you friends with? And who will you say yes to? Because he tells us that anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And that whole idea of chooses that person who has their will, if, if our parents leave us something in their will, that's the word that's used they give it to us, they will it, they intend it. And he says that if we are on the wrong side, in other words, friends with the devil and at enemies with God, then that is our will, our intention, that's what we desire. And that causes fights. And that, he says, is the wrong fight. Because, and there's nothing wrong with having money. I don't think James is talking about that. In fact, he he would probably say it would be good to have money, but don't let money have you. It's good to have possessions, don't let them have you. It's good to have things, but where does your heart lie? He's saying, because there's a battle that's taking place, and that begins to destroy who we are, because we desire to possess You know, our self image is important, our needs and our pride and and self sufficiency. Uh, As you heard, I grew up in uh, a Greek family. And, uh, you know, if there was a building to be put up, somebody would say, Can you come and donate? And uh, good Greeks would say, Well, I'll only donate if you put my name on the wall. And so we had to donate a lot because Christophides is quite a long name to go on the wall. And and that's doing it with the wrong motive. If you're going to give, if you're going to serve, you don't have to actually put your name in highlights. You do it as unto God. And so when we say yes to the one, we're saying no to the other. We must be careful because that heart condition can easily consume us down the wrong path, and it gets worse and worse. Well, if there's a wrong fight, what is the right fight? The right fight is a heart that resolves conflict. And, and he, he basically quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, uh, in verse 6, and says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. And carries on on that thought and, and says, basically in verse 10, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And folks, that word humble is an important point. And I heard Mike say that, to actually give of yourself to somebody else, you know, by serving somebody else. And what does he say here? That word humble, uh, to make low, to bring low, to depress one's pride. In other words, it's not all about me all the time, to depress one's pride and to behave in an unassuming manner. Why don't so many people walk this way? Well, I think the simple answer from uh, point number one is because we're selfish. You know, we we want the self-sufficiency. In fact, we actually have this little phrase, to be meek is to be weak, you know? And so make sure that you're strong. Don't show any emotion. Make sure that you're strong. But actually, we confuse meekness and humility with weakness. But actually, he's saying, listen, when you humble yourself... And you put others before you There is somebody that will be on your side Because that's why you're humbling yourself And he will lift you up So those who come with the wrong motive to harm you Guess what? They are going to be harmed Why? Because greater is he that is in you 1 John 4, 4 Than he that is in the world And so who are we saying yes to? And who are we saying no to? Some people say, well, humility is passivity. Well, I don't really care. Or humility equals humiliation. No, God will never humble us by humiliating us. God wants us to put him first, knowing as we put him first, he will lift us up. So the question I ask you is, who's in charge of your life? If you're saying no to God, then you're saying yes to somebody else. You're saying yes to God, and you're saying no to somebody else. Which leads me to my third and final point the heart that responds in humility. And in these last few verses, uh, James is actually telling us what we need to do to be able to have uh, a good heart uh, so we express it in humility. Now, folk, I never want us to misunderstand that when we get onto the basketball court, there is competition. Fierce competition. (laughs) But the way we conduct ourselves, that's what we're talking about here. Because of the condition of our heart. And so he's saying firstly that we need to accept God's will. And he says that in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. And that word submit, to come under and to submit to the one who's controlling you. Not to come under to be pushed down. No, but to come under because of the one that's controlling you. Who is your commander, basically, is the question we ask ourselves. Uh, If you're a soldier in the army, who is the commander that's in charge of your army? And he says it's important to be in relationship with God. It's important to submit to the control of God. Not just to turn to God uh, when we are in desperate need, but to have a life that's pleasing to God, to, uh, to actually respond to God every moment of the day, whether we win or lose, we're more than conquerors, not because of the score, but because of who our commander is. So if we're still trying to run our own lives and do our own thing and think, think that we're in control, be careful, because what he's saying is, accept God's will. In other words, to say yes to God. But also, secondly, to reject God's enemy and to say no to the evil one. And he says in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee. And so he's actually saying the same thing twice. When you resist the devil, it goes without saying he's got to flee. In other words, when you're saying yes to God, you're resisting the devil. And that word resist is a really uh, strong word. It says oppose it. Stand deeply against him. Set your mind and your heart against the evil one. When that temptation comes, knocking at the door, that's not the problem. It's when you open the door and you welcome that temptation in and entertain it. You're saying no to God and yes to the evil one. So be ready, he's saying. Resist the devil. Open the door, see who it is, and tell him to go somewhere else. Resist the devil, he says, and he will flee. He'll seek safety by running away. Sadly, to somebody else. Be careful, he's saying. Because, folk, the devil is not come to play games. He's come to, to rob us of the joy of God. In John 10.10, 10, we read that the evil one comes to, to destroy, to rob, to wipe us out. But Jesus has come that we might have life and life to the full. To say yes to Jesus, to accept God's will, to resist or say no to the devil. And thirdly, to seek God's presence. Uh, in verse 8. He says, come near to God and He will come near to you. And that word come means to join together with God, to be united to God, to pursue Him. Uh, And how do we do that? Well, friends, we begin to uh, do the things that He longs for us to do. We begin to get to know Him by reading the Bible, by praying, by communicating to Him, by entering into a relationship with Him by doing the things that God would want us to do, by mingling with people uh, that are also of the same ilk as us, that also uh, want to accept God's will, that also want to reject God's enemy, that are people that are on the same page as us, if you like. And he's saying, listen, when you come close to God, the evil one has to flee. And that word to come near to God means that we are to be proactive. And I want to ask us, as I challenge myself daily, am I doing enough or spending enough time with God? And I can never ever spend enough time, but am I even putting God first in my life? Am I even just uh, uh, experiencing God on a daily basis? Is He part of my life? Um, or am I just ignoring him? You see, that word seek in the Greek means seek in order to find. Seek in order to find. Not having a boy's look. <laughs> uh, Mom, where is this? Uh, where it normally is. Uh, Mom, I can't find it. Well, look properly. <laughs> in other words, no boy's look. You know, thank God only our son does it and I never do it. No, we all do it. <laughs> In other words, what, what, what James is saying, make sure that you look with intention. Not just kind of, in other words, look for God's presence. Look until you find him in your life so it may go well with you. Then finally, receive God's forgiveness. He says in verses 8 to 10, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You see, when you begin to accept God's will and reject God's enemy and and see God's presence, then you begin to uh, receive that forgiveness that God gives. Wash your hands. catharizo, cathartic. You know, cleanse from stains and dirt. Make sure that you you put God in, as it were, uh, because then all these stains and that dirt leave. And he says that often we are double-minded. We are uncertain, divided in interest. So to come before him and to receive God and to say yes to Jesus, then we begin to turn that, that sorrow, he says, automatically into joy. And, folk, no one can take joy away. One can take happiness away. One can take other things away. But no one can take away one's joy. And to put God first... In all these things, I wonder if there's conflict in your life. I wonder, uh, you know, if you're asking the question, "What's causing this conflict in my life?" Many, many times we want to empty ourselves out of all these things that are causing conflict. And I would suggest, according to what James instructs us this morning, to put God in, and these things go. Not, oh, well, I need to first get rid of this and do that and do all these other things. No, when you put God in, another way of putting it. By saying yes to Jesus, by putting God in, we say no to the evil one, and he has to flee. And we begin to put things into perspective. There's a picture there of Jacqueline Kiplimo. She did something that stunned the world during the 2010 Zenkai Marathon when she witnessed a disabled competitor struggling to drink water who was a double amputee. Instead of seeing her moment to run ahead of the struggling athlete, she ran alongside of him from the 6.2-mile mark to the 23-mile mark, from the 10-kilometer mark to the 38-kilometer mark, helping him drink water at all of the watering stations. The aid that she so compassionately provided her fellow competitor slowed her run time down and caused her to lose her first place position and place second in the race, costing her the win and $10,000 prize money. Jacqueline Kaplimo showed the world that day that to her, being compassionate, humble, and helping one another was more important than winning a race that she had been preparing for her entire life. Now, that is a true leader. I want to tell you about another true leader, Stephen Curry. You know that great basketballer, that next slide that's won all those amazing trophies. But he said this, and he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has said yes to Jesus and no. To the devil. He said humility is not the same as low self-esteem. It means obeying God by submitting to Him and becoming a servant to others. I wonder where your heart is this morning. I wonder, as we sit here, if we've said yes to Jesus and no to the evil one. Because that will allow us to come under the authority of God... And he will fill us with his joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you, Lord, that when we say yes to you, Lord, we say no to the evil one. I don't want to prolong our time together but as you sit here in the silence before we sing our final song I want to ask you a question have you said yes to Jesus and no to the devil or are you still sitting on the fence because that's a dangerous place to be because you could fall off that fence and fall onto the wrong side And so I want to ask you this morning, in fact, I want to beg you this morning to say yes to Jesus and say no to the evil one. In fact, you don't even have to say no to the evil one. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no. And you're inviting God to come into your life. I beg you to do that. I beg you to do that. Father, touch our hearts And our minds, Lord, may we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.